We are Chris and Beth Bruno, and this is the Walking With Podcast. We lead a team of brave and brilliant story work counselors and coaches around the country, all committed to helping you come alive. Join us as we explore the sacred landscape of the human heart at the intersection of theology, psychology, and ministry. In this season, we're inviting ministry leaders to join us to discuss the challenges they face as they lead and walk with others. Welcome to the Walking With Podcast. Thanks for joining Chris and I today, and we can't wait to dive into the question that you have brought um, for us today. But let's start with you telling our audience just a little bit about yourself. What role do you play uh, in the community and ministry? Just little bit about who you are. Thanks, Chris and Beth. It is wonderful to be with you today. Right now, I'm serving as the pastor at First Presbyterian Church at Fort Collins. We are a longtime historic church down on the corner of College and Mulberry, and it, it has really been a privilege and joy for my wife and I to be a part of this community. Miriam and I, my wife, moved here from Chicago about four and a half years ago, where I had been in ministry with a congregation there on the north side of Chicago. And we moved here in part because what's not to love about Colorado? Um, <laughs> we're big fans of the outdoors and sunshine and God's beautiful creation. But more importantly, we came because we felt a clear calling and a great fit with this church, a church which is diverse in its theology and its politics and its culture. And, and that reflects our background as people who have appreciated and worshiped in a wide variety of Christian communities over our lives from more conservative communities to more progressive communities and everything in between. And so we feel comfortable in and want to affirm the importance of, of a wide space for people of faith to pray together and break bread together. Yeah. So we're really enjoying this season of our life and I'm glad to be with you today. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think what you just described is so much more meaningful and such good context, given the question that you're bringing. So Mm -hmm. why don't you go ahead and ask that Mm -hmm. question? Yeah, thanks. It, It certainly shapes this question, which is probably concisely, how do we care for and love people who seem to have gotten lost in whether we call it conspiracy theories or versions of reality that don't sync with what we believe are are true and especially when those beliefs take people in directions that seem dangerous dangerous to themselves and their own sort of mental and social well-being and and also dangerous to relationships and to the kind of actions that are compelled by those beliefs I was describing this to a colleague of mine a couple of weeks ago and said You know, it's one thing for someone to believe there's a monster that swims in Loch Ness in Scotland or a hairy Bigfoot that roams the woods of the Pacific Northwest. If you want to believe that, that's fine. It it probably doesn't have any real world implications for your life or your community. You're not making Um, decisions based off of that. Yeah, exactly. But when you believe some of the things that are, are now a part of our sort of social and political discourse, they do have real world implications for demonizing and dehumanizing other people or groups of people in total and compelling you to potentially dangerous and violent actions and to social isolation and, and, you know, these weird sort of echo chambers. 
and I'm, I'm seeing people's relationships broken within families and among friends. And I feel that here at the church, not a lot, thankfully, but there have been a few people who have come in to discuss their beliefs that made it difficult for me as a pastor to figure out a starting place <laughs> when, when somebody else's starting place is so radically different from mine. Yeah, what a great question. And I just hear in, in the very question, your heart to continue to care for those people, both for their mental and emotional health, as well as their spiritual health. And as a pastor, right, that is, that is your purview to care for their overall health in so many ways. And so, you know, I, I hear that question and I know that, so we're not going to kind of devolve into a political, political commentary here on the podcast. And and that's not what your question is even asking. It's more just how to navigate through some of the, the other challenges that we're currently facing in, in the world today. You know, I think the, the first thing that I think, Corey, is people need a narrative. People need a narrative. And when I say that, I'm not talking about a narrative for their lives necessarily, but they need a narrative that is a meta-narrative to, to even find their own. And even in the scriptures, right, I think what, what Jesus is actually asking of people in the scriptures and in the church ever since has been, what will be your narrative? Will you have a narrative of law or will you have a narrative of grace? Will you have a narrative of, of humanity or will you have a, mer- a narrative of, of hate and distance? And so I, I feel like that's what you're asking is actually really at the core of the the gospel invitation and people do need a narrative to to live according to and when i when i hear that and let's you know kind of bat that around a little bit but when i hear that i hear uh, a choice for those people to choose a narrative of fear and and i'm careful to say fear and not hate because i think fear leads to hate and fear leads to demonizing and fear leads to separation and isolation and those kinds of things. And, and so there's this, but they might not even know that they're necessarily choosing a narrative of fear because it's so core to, to them that they're not even aware that it's there. And so as I engage with that question, that's where I kind of begin. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And as you say, I think people are probably unaware of that. And so to ask the question, you know, of what are you afraid probably doesn't provoke a very helpful response. <laughs> but where, where I've tried to start and, and found a little bit of ground to work with is getting at that question of narrative, Chris, and asking, what is it about your life, your life story that has led you to come to hold these beliefs? And, and trying to tease out a little bit of context, recognizing you know, that, that we all arrive where we are from someplace else. We're all on a journey and, and likely where someone is today, which may seem like a giant leap different from myself, has been a leap that has been taken in thousands of little steps. Yes. And so what have been those experiences, those encounters, those relationships that you know have slowly led you down a, a different path just 
to acknowledge that you're human like me on a journey like me. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a little common ground there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that in terms of narratives. Like we all have these narratives that we hold on to demanding that they're, they're true the way we see them mm-hmm. and we'll relentlessly hold on to them until there's something that, that jars us. Mm-hmm. There's something that challenges our perception of that narrative, or maybe it's, maybe it's that, maybe it's also just we come to a place of being so, so needing a shift, like some, like we just Mm -hmm. need to see life differently. We're willing Mm -hmm. to explore Mm -hmm. perhaps someone else's interpretation, Mm -hmm. but I think that's helpful for me a little bit in terms of relating to this particular group right now is recognizing, okay, I also have a narrative, narratives that I refuse to believe mm-hmm. aren't true. Mm-hmm. Like, could we at least, I can at least see them mm-hmm. in that. I can at least share that experience mm-hmm. a little bit. It helps me just a little bit to find some connecting point. Mm-hmm. And what you're talking about there is you're finding your own humanity so that you can find theirs mm-hmm. in the midst of that. And I think that's that's a beautiful way to think about that. And, and Corey, you're right, right? There's an evolutionary process to someone coming to hold beliefs of any kind and you know we're talking about conspiracy theories and stuff like that and uh, and that impact our lives and immediately i go to a place of that's that's really the business of cults is to bring people into a belief structure that isolates and separates and creates uh, a posture of fear and a, a real us and them and so when we're talking about these things within our current society that that's, that's there and there's, there's a brainwashing that happens. There is an identity that is formed that I am part of, part of us and you are part of them. And that can be really jarring for somebody who's coming like from your church or from your organization that is, you're like, I thought, I thought we were aligned on a lot of things. I thought we were, I thought we had kind of a core belief structure of what made us, made us together at the same table. Right. And now you're telling me that you're pretty far off. And especially for a church like yours, where the table is really large, it's probably been even more shocking to realize there's actually like chairs that don't fit here, but, but that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How has that been for you as a person? Right. So we can talk about the, the ministry aspect of that and the, and the yeah. pastoral care of the people that are you're shepherding, but how has that been for you as a person to hear of these things happening amongst your people Mm. um i would lie if i didn't confess that there's a part of me that takes that personally and and personally in a way that i know in my rational brain doesn't make sense or shouldn't make sense but i feel it in my gut and and that's this idea that you know, I, I would hope that the message of this church, which is the message I hope of scripture and me faithfully communicating the values of scripture have somehow missed in a big way. Mm-hmm. If they haven't nurtured in people of faith that mostly holds ground together around some shared values. And, and I know again, in my rational brain that the universe doesn't revolve around me or my role as pastor or what I've done or do as pastor. 
But, but I do feel some of that, you know, in my gut that, oh my gosh, how is this person that's been a part of this community for so long yet arrived at this very different place and, and seems from my perspective, which I'll own as my perspective, but nevertheless seems to be in a place of such fear and hatred and divisive, you know, polarization that I, I hope that's not what we're about. And so, but, but then I try to, you know, take my own ego out of that equation, though it's always part of the equation. And, and, and then I just hurt for people. I hurt because from my perspective, they're lost. And I realize from their perspective, they think I'm lost. <laughs> but I, I hurt for their loss of relationships and just, you know, connection to, to some shared deeper values that I, that I think that my faith informs me are, are truer values, values of the kingdom. So, yeah, there's, there's a real lament there. Yeah. Well, I hear what you're saying and you're trying to take your ego out of it. And at the same time, there's, there is a level of, I, I feel in some ways like I have failed. If, yeah. if they choose that path that I have failed to be an adequate guide. And that's a hard place to come to and acknowledge and not feel personal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I've heard that in other pastors this year, you know, in, even in response this last summer to the protest for racial justice, pastors in congregations speaking about issues of race and discovering in some of the feedback, some of the critique, that there are people in a very different place from them around these issues and pastors, you know, hurting for a wide variety of reasons, but hurt by that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. You were going to say. Well, I think I was just going to go to another point you made, Corey, about families being divided. That's mm -hmm. that weighs heavily on me as well. Mm -hmm. and, and for you to walk alongside of people in your congregation who are experiencing divisive family relationships as a result of this. Yeah. Where do we go with that? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that is a new level of just like family relation systems breaking down mm -hmm. in our in our country. Mm -hmm. How do we help? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wish I had the answer to that. How do we help? Well, the reality is, I don't think anybody really we has a full, support groups. Well, <laughs> support groups for the family and probably the ministers who are trying to help the families. You know, I what's what's coming to my mind is the story of Les Mis. And, and this is where, you know, one person has a really strong conviction about another person. And the whole, you know, narrative, the whole story is about this, this relationship that the two of these men have in, you know, the police man who's trying to convict the, the other man. And, you know, whether he's innocent or not is, is irrelevant to this conversation. It's a matter of the, the structure of belief that they both had. Mm -hmm. And what I found, what we find at the end, and I think the brilliance of the story is that it is the consistent relational or relation offer of relationship and the consistent kindness that comes like I will, though you may hunt me, I will not return the hunt. I won't, I won't come against you. I won't harm you. 
Like that is what I, what I see is some of, at least some of this, and especially in some of the understanding that I have, as I mentioned before, of some of the cult survivors and those that have come out of cults, it is not because of a convincing of theology. It's not because of a head knowledge. It's not because of uh, an awakening to a deeper truth or something like that. It's because of relationship that has brought people back into, or I should say out of a a cult situation, a brainwashing situation. Mm. And there's something to me that is actually back to, back to Jesus, that it is the offer of relationship. It is not the offer of information or convincing or more law. It is the continued pursuit of the relational engagement. Mm -hmm. And it's so disrupting, even in Les Mes, right? At the end of the story, it is so disruptive that kindness was offered that the, the one character cannot, cannot take the kindness. He cannot hold the kindness that is offered to him. And, and yet in the midst of that, like, we still have to continue to pursue that kindness, whether or not people can, can take it from us. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that, that's helpful, Chris. And it actually leaves me with an insight that, you know, if, if we believe fundamentally that we are hardwired by our creator for relationship, mm-hmm. and if people's journey into cult or conspiracy or however we define it is in part a journey of fear, if that fear is somehow a fear of loss of relationship, you know, a perception of a loss of of important relationships or sustaining or secure relationships, then it's in fact the, the, the bond of relationship that draws people out, you know, and, and not some cognitive argument, but the convincing that the relationship will withstand what you believe, you know, whether it's true or not. I, so I'm still testing this idea, but I'm coming to understand that fear is the absence of witness. And I say witness like W-I-T-H-ness. Because every time we see, almost every time we see in the scriptures, do not be afraid, there's the follow-up statement of, for I am with you. And the first thing in all of creation that was not good was aloneness, that Adam was alone. And so I feel like fear actually comes from being alone or, or fearing that we will be alone and, and not having those relationships. And the antidote then is to bring that, what you just said, the hardwiring to relationship is to bring withness back despite the differences and despite the, the challenges and cults and conspiracies and whatever mm-hmm. belief structures are there. And what you just said is, I, I will continue to be with you. Whatever you believe or whatever position you hold, I will be with you. And that gets super challenging when there are decisions that are being made that are harmful decisions, yeah. right? The, the I'm, I'm going to destroy my family. I'm going to have, get a divorce. I'm going to become violent in society, whatever that situation might be, that, that's hard to stay with. And yet we can still see, again, throughout the scriptures and also throughout you know, church history, that we will be with those people who are the farthest, who seem to be the farthest away from God. And that is actually the calling of the church. And in a way that really explains 
almost a year now into a global pandemic, as people have been isolated, that people's primary connection has been through online community. Uh-huh. And so the, the journey of withness with people who are like-minded in a conspiracy or a cult environment creates these deep bonds that we, you know, we are the remnant of people who really know the truth, who, to whom the truth has been revealed about the way things really are. And so now there's this deep connection, maybe even deeper because it is a small group of people. It's this, you know, moral minority, so to speak. And so the, then the antidote to that has to be a greater withness that, that you will find more belonging, uh, a life-giving belonging in this community as opposed to that community. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, the dispersing of deeper communities like your church, like, you know, any church, the greater the dispersing, the greater the isolation and those sub small groups become more like-minded, right? All of a sudden we began to be with the people that we chose to be with in whether in person in our, you know, quarantine space or in the online spaces that we chose to go to that the rubbing shoulders with other people who may not have been in our small subgroup. Now we've lost that over the course of the last 10 months. And now the increased isolation and isolation and isolation, of course, we're going to move into conspiracies and other places of fear. Of course, the us and themness of the world is increasing or has increased over these last, this last year. I'm not saying that it didn't exist beforehand. Right. But I think it was certainly magnified over the course of the last 11, you know, 10, 11 months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what do we then do as a pastor, right? What do we then do as a leader in, in these places and spaces? And it feels to me that some of what we've talked about is, is to be thinking and intentional about relational pursuits. And even if someone begins to move into some dangerous categories of conspiracies or, or whatever, that we will, we will not give up the relationship for the belief. And we'll stop sending like snarky memes and alternative <laughs> news sources and books they ought to read. We'll just refrain from all of that. Exactly. And, we'll move and we'll move towards, yeah. Not saying that from experience at all. <laughs> right. We've not had that happen to us at all. Right. Um, and, you know, if I'm really searching for answers, I'll just send people to restoration counseling. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have all the answers. All of them are right here. Thanks be uh, to God. Yeah. Corey, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, you're very welcome. It's fun to spend time with you guys. Thanks. The Walking With Podcast is a product of ReStory Labs, the digital laboratory of Restoration Counseling Center. And did you know, under ReStory Labs, we host another podcast called Thrive Marriage. If you or someone you know is married, subscribe to Thrive to hear professional and personal stories on topics relevant to couples who want more for their relationship. You can learn more about us on our website in the show notes, and we'll see you same time, same place next week.